Mr. Speaker. Right, it is a Friday morning at 8.30, so we are joined by Sarah Martin and John Moore for politics. Morena to you both. Morena. How are we both today? Very good. Oh, your, your mic's not on. Uh, yeah, sorry. I was talking about that. Oh, sorry. sorry. I mean, I'd I, I like it to be off for the whole time, but yeah. <laughs> that's probably, probably, probably need <laughs> no platforming, John Moore. That's John right. Moore, silence. Yeah, that's right. Hey, look, if Massey can do it, so can Otago. <laughs> uh, and we'll get to that real soon. Uh, but Wednesday marked 125 years since women gained the right to vote in Aotearoa, the first self-governing nation to achieve it. Um, you know, it's, and we often, um, you know, we, we talk about Kate Shepard and the suffragettes and, uh, and and the work they did in the movement. But, you know, I often wonder how, you know, what society was thinking at the time. And, and um, you know, and after so much fight back and pushback, and there was a lot of pushback from uh, certain political parties, uh, how it actually got achieved and how it got through, Sarah. Oh, goodness. Uh <laughs> I'm not prepared for a, for a deep history lesson. Ah, well, I guess it was the sheer numbers. One in five women signed the petition, which, you know, 20% of the population of women are. So I guess in the end it was the sheer numbers, the sheer tenacity of the, the um, women who were leading it and, and behind it. And I think it was just, um, you know, it was one of those things, the time had come, there was great popular support for it. I, maybe John has got a better grip on the historical forces that I have. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like it was, you know, it, 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 obviously it was time. And have you seen from uh, other, other, some other countries and states and uh, within nations and and in other nations like uh, the Pitkin Islands, uh, Falkland Islands, um, there were women were voting in other elections in other places. Um, a lot of the time, it was women that owned freehold land. Mm. Uh, and the like, but we were the first self-governing nation um, mm. to to achieve it, John. And I, I think that um, one of the reasons why New Zealand was one of the first, what well, was the first nation, was generally New Zealand uh, political leaders and establishment wanted to use New Zealand society for social experiments. So uh, people who had come from Britain, a very class divided country, uh, an equal country with a, a, a firm and, and strong conservative lobby, people who came to New Zealand wanted to move away from many of those traditions. And so I think in, in that context, it's not surprising that New Zealand was the first nation to uh, allow women the right to vote. Um, I, I also, I mean, if you look at the, not other nations, but other territories or states that enacted um, the right for women to vote, these included uh, US Western Mountain states, such as Wyoming, Utah, cholera, uh, also South Australia, Western Australia, and there's something in common uh, with, with all these um, uh, areas. Um, uh, one, there was the presence of strong liberal and egalitarian beliefs. So again, that, that desire to move away from that conservatism um, of, of the mother country, if you like. Uh, a surplus of men over women. 
So this is quite important because uh, New Zealand's early colonial times as well as Australia and America, there were a lot of uh, drunken men, uh, um, uh, high levels of prostitution. And one of the ways that um, suffrage campaigners like Kate Shepard pushed the issue was to win over conservative men to the idea that that women were more wholesome, mm. uh, and were more moral, and by giving them the vote, it would be a way to sort of counter those uh, naughty men, naughty colonial men out there getting into trouble. And I guess it's where the Women's Christian Temperance Movement Union came in. Exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. which Kate Shepard was... A moderating influence. Yeah, and Kate Shepard was a founding member yeah. of the Temperance Movement. So it's ironic, because I guess there's a... Um, Clearly, the struggle for the right to women to vote is, is, is uh, at that time was radical, uh, was a, a, represented a huge advance, uh, but also there was that conservative aspect to it, the mm. way that a uh, woman like Kate Shepard campaigned for the right for women to vote, that something, in the, with the essence of woman, there's something more wholesome, motherly, conservative. Yeah. Now, Sarah, I mean, the suffrage movement you know and the feminist movement in, in New Zealand at the time they weren't just voting for, uh, voting for the right they weren't just trying to get the right to vote um, they wanted property rights divorce rights um, there were a lot of other things that women were voting for equality equality yeah they did want equality and equality at work and I think that's been a really interesting theme of what a lot of uh, political leaders here this year and, and commentators have picked up that we still have a lot of work to do a lot of improvements to make and there has been a strong focus on equality in the workplace, mm. which I, th I think is really you know, great to see the government introduce the um, equal pay legislation on suffrage day to make it easier for um, equal pay claims, pay equity claims to progress through. So that was really positive. And I've been thinking about this quite a bit in relation to you know the pressure that Jacinda Ardern came under, the Prime Minister came under last weekend about um, not appearing on two two current affairs programs on Saturday and Sunday. And I was thinking the world of work, including the you know, the role of Prime Minister, has to change in order to allow full participation by um, all people really and allow people to bring their full selves into the workforce. And that includes the Prime Minister. So we do need to change the way we work. It's not realistic. Yeah, you know, I think some people I heard Fran O'Sullivan from the radio from the Herald saying if women want these top positions they need to accept that the way they work is very long hours and, um, you know, no time for children, no time for life outside work. But that, that is not, that's not sustainable and that is not going to allow the kind of transformation of women and the integration of women into the workplace on equal terms. So I think we do need to, you know, really transform the way we work, share the work, yeah. um, make sure we have equal pay, make sure we have equal um, conditions and equal access. It's not just it's not just a kind of a matter of putting women in the workplace and expecting everything to remain the way it is. We do have to change the way we work, the way we um, pay people. And we need to make it a much more egalitarian and inclusive approach to work. Indeed, I mean, I I would put it to anyone that even that's unsustainable for for any person. To um, to work like that. I mean, there's a reason why mm. you've got uh, you know a lot of uh, heart issues within uh, the business community. A lot of no, well, it's true. A mm. lot of businessmen, uh, you know, top business men uh, will die of heart attacks because they it work. Is yeah. 
because they just yeah. work these ridiculous hours and they never see their families and it causes issues at home and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it, need, it needs to change regardless yeah, of the sex. I think so. And I think although, you know... Um Unions and women's movement have been the forefront of trying to make workplaces more gender equitable. Mm. I think in the end, I mean, what we will get is workplaces that are more humane, that recognise that people have lives outside the workplace, and they need to be able to continue living those lives, and that you know they will bring some of those needs into the workplaces as, as they should. They're you know the human beings. Our our humanity doesn't stop when we walk in the door at work. We've got full economic, social civil rights that need to be recognised and work needs to be transformed to allow that to happen. Indeed, indeed. And, um, yeah, I wonder what Kate Shepard and the suffragettes will will think of the times like now and and see that we haven't reached that equality and we've actually still got a a ways to go. Well, I guess um, um, with the early feminist movement, there was really a split between those liberal uh, feminists who who wanted formal political equality but still wanted to, in some ways, uh, uh, maintain the traditional roles of women in the household, etc., bringing up children, Uh, and and more radical emancipatory uh, feminists, especially in the socialist tradition, uh, even the communist tradition, who, who called for complete social uh, equality for women, which, which uh, calls for the need for more radical structural change and economic change, etc. And I think that's um, one of the reasons why we, we still don't have full woman equality. We have that political equality, that formal liberal equality for women, but um, uh, a, a capitalist economy system still uh, structurally produces a whole lot of oppressions and inequalities that uh, that might not exist in the political sphere in terms of uh, political rights, but uh, in reality, uh, as you said, with um, the, the, the structural problems with, with women moving up into higher managerial positions. Um, so that calls for far more radical change. Yeah, I see. I don't see it as being that radical, to be honest. It doesn't, uh, like, for my mind, it, if, man, I, you know, it. it Equal at home, equal outside of home. Mm. Uh, you know, if you, if I got to stay at home with the kids, I stay at home with the kids. You know, mm. I mean, it, it, it just boggles my mind. But I, I, I just must be a, a progressive human. I don't know. Thank <laughs> <laughs> goodness. <laughs> um, let's talk about the tax working group. Um, of course, they've released the interim report. Um, what and who? Whom are the tax working group? Okay, so the the, the tax working group was set up by uh, the Labour led government or the uh, coalition oh, government, yeah, as Winston yeah, Peters yeah, likes yeah, to yeah. <laughs> call it. Labour and New Zealand First are equal, of course, um, and and it's chaired by former finance minister. Um, Michael Cullen, who was uh, the finance minister under the Helen Clark government, um, and it's tasked with providing recommendations for the government. So it's already come out with a um, an interim report, and will come out with a final report uh, next year in February. So in terms of the interim r- report, um, my argument would be it's pretty conservative and cautious. Um, uh, there is a call for a capital gains tax or extending capital gains taxes, uh, so that's probably will be the most controversial proposal and something that the opposition will hit this government hard on, uh, saying that's going to hurt middle New Zealanders who uh, have more than one property, etc. Um, however, the family home uh, under this proposal will be excluded from any considerations of capital gains tax. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, 
Yeah, the, the, there's call for uh, thinking about taxes in relation to what land, wealth, good taxes, etc. Um, however, uh, Grant Robertson has made it clear that he wants the, uh, um, any proposals to be revenue neutral. So that means overall there'll be no increases in taxes, which really points to uh, uh, the conservatism of um, Grant Robertson at the moment. I believe that Grant Robertson could be uh, more left-wing and more radical, but at the moment he's choosing to be very conservative and very cautious. Hey, what, are, what are your feelings on this, Sarah? Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with John. It, it is a cautious report, and I guess that's not surprising given the makeup of the of the group it's um you know it's rep- we've got bill rosenberg representing um unions on there but aside from that it's a fairly conservative middle of the road bunch of not middle of the road but fairly conservative um status quo type makeup um they have i think put some you know some good recommendations in terms of moving towards it you know increasing extending capital gains um and taxing um income from capital gains but it is fairly moderate, and um, it's not going to really, really reverse the growing inequality in New Zealand, which is actually um, centred around the ownership of wealth. Mm. So, as John says, there's, you know, wealth taxes and land taxes are off the table. And I think we need to be really um, clear in New Zealand that that is a key source of inequality, and unless we're willing to address that through some really fundamental um, change in the way that we tax wealth, then we're not going to address inequality. And if that's kind of the New Zealand that people want, then, you know, then that's the kind of place we'll have and we'll continue to have. But, you know, great that they're recommending some extension of capital gains and that is aimed at um, being fairer and broader in the capture of tax because at the moment working people you know, working people pay actually much more than their fair share of tax because they pay income tax on their wages and salaries and they pay the very regressive GST that um, is a regressive tax. And people who own capital and their income from that capital get off a lot lighter. So, yes, it, that does um, suggest a positive move, but it isn't going to um, create profound change in the um, inequality and the economic um, structure of, of our society, but that's not surprising, really, <laughs> given mm. given the makeup and the mandate of the group. Yeah, I mean, my, my voice is taxed. My intellectual property is taxed. My brain, what I say, if I, if I can call it that. Um, you know, so why why isn't someone's fine art taxed? Why isn't their jewellery taxed? You know, I mean, why aren't people? Every you know, a, a freezing worker will sit, will work their their um you know their body into dust mm. for years and years just to try to get ahead, and they may get ahead, um you know, and you may end up buying a house or, or maybe two houses, um if you're lucky, uh you know they're hard work, hard graphers tax, and, and why isn't yeah. you know somebody because the rich are very powerful. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and, and and I'm not saying that you know there's a lot of blue bloods out there, but a lot of blue bloods will just be born into money. Mm. You know, and, and well, they'll have. Uh, th- that's right, and I mean it is a small proportion. You know, it's a small minority of the population that owns most of the wealth. Mm. It's a very small percentage. You know, it's, it's concentrated in, in the top ten percent. The rest, ninety percent of the rest of society, doesn't own massive wealth. Uh, so it is a very small proportion of society who would be affected by a, by comprehensive taxes on wealth and, and land. Um, 
but they have power that is you know really disproportionate to their numbers yeah and there are a lot of people out there that have managed to buy a second home and are using that for their retirement nest egg and mm. that's sure. again yeah, that's fully understandable and we get that that's their investment um, that's fine, but it should still be taxed. Yes, exactly. Why, I mean, why not? Uh, absolutely. Those people are not necessarily the, the massively wealthy um, landowners that we're all imagining. But, you know, if I get income from from a house, a second house, then why should that not be taxed mm. when I, if I do two jobs, both jobs are taxed? Yeah, I mean, if I sit at home and make soap and sell that soap, i got to pay tax. Mm. Yeah. We, yeah. What, you know, what... What's the difference? And I think even from a sort of a right-wing capitalist point of view, uh, th- th- there is a desire in some circles to actually uh, bring in more uh, stringent capital gains taxes because uh, at the moment, because uh, um, um, you can buy a second house or properties and, and not pay the capital gains tax, it incentivizes people investing in property, mm. which doesn't actually increase GDP, doesn't increase production, no. doesn't in- increase productivity... Uh, so, uh, uh, in some uh, right-wing economic circles, there's arguments that a capital gains tax is needed to, to, to yeah. push investment into more productive yeah. areas. Yeah, and, and it just right. pushes up house prices as well. Mm. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, which makes it harder for those on the lower incomes to perhaps invest in property themselves. And, you know, so it, it, this, mm. it's just not fair. Um, you know, what else has been said? And, and, and I want to talk about revenue neutral too. I mean, what's the point? Well, I think that this government is, uh, in Grant Robertson, this is, I guess, to uh, uh, deflect any criticisms from uh from the right, from business circles, etc., um, and, and to say that this this government isn't about uh, growing the state, extending the state, going back to big government. Uh, that it, it's a government that's still working in within the perimeters that were really set up way back in the in the eighties. Yeah, yeah, like the, letting hospitals crumble to the ground, you know, because we don't have enough yeah, money to pay yeah, for stuff. It, it's surprising. I mean, because I don't know how they're going to honour some commitments around better paying conditions, including equal pay for um, public servants and people in the state sector. And I don't know how they're going to honour greater investment in public services if revenue remains the same. I mean, you know, the tax working group itself has said that they don't think that the amount of revenue we collect from taxes is sufficient to um, provide the same level of public services. Um, in, in the near future. So even they are suggesting that we need to increase revenue, the amount of money we get from taxes. Um, now, that can't come from people on low to middle income. It would need to come from people on high income mm. um, and who own wealth. But, yeah, I, I think it's surprising given... My assumption is that the government thinks that we'll get additional revenue from growing GDP. And, um, Which is a very there. risky um, um, uh, proposal or a very risky idea because um, the, there's lots of e- uh, econom- uh, economists internationally and with the New Zealand well saying that we could be heading for a new financial crisis or economic crisis. If that happens, uh, th- there's a drop in GDP in New Zealand, a drop in the, uh, in the tax intake from, um, from the community, businesses, etc. to the government, then the government's going to be, this government's going to be thrown into a crisis. What does it do? Does it stri- stick to those uh, um, financial rules it's imposed upon itself that only uh, keeps government spending at 20%, it continues to 
pay off debt, uh, it doesn't expand government spending. If it sticks to those rules uh, in an economic downturn, then uh, the government will be in a, in a situation, a crisis. Uh, um, does it does it throw away those um, f- um, uh, financial rules that it's imposed on itself and start e- extending out its e- expending investment in the economy? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I think that the, the idea that it's reliant on GDP growth is is uh, is very dangerous. It seems to me like the rich um, want the government to save money, so when they stuff up the economy again, they can be bailed out. <laughs> like I, mean, I, I know that that's very narrow-minded. Like, yeah, I, I get that, but it just—that's the feeling I get. Because well, that's when uh, business community suddenly throws away its uh, um, conservative economic ideas and, 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 and reaches out to the state and suddenly wants the yeah. state to be all socialist, but oh. socialist for them, socialist yeah. for the rich. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and you know, there's not there's not an if. But a when when it comes to the next financial crisis. I mean, this is how capitalism works. I mean, mm. there's a crisis every ten years. Mm. Well, there's certainly lots of talk out there, and 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 it's interesting. Um, uh, Winston Peters, uh, if you remember when he signed up to the coalition deal, he said that uh, he felt that we were heading into uh, an economic downturn, if not an economic crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the revenue, the revenue neutrality issue, is a way of, as John said, a neutraliser, trying to neutralise any possible attacks that this government wants to raise tax revenue. Uh, which is a shame because, you know, we actually have to get past that small state is better um, dominant ideology of the 80s and 90s because it's failed. Yeah, yeah, it, it certainly has failed and, and, and it's not hard to see uh, the inequality around us and it's not hard to see mm. when you just walk down the street the people that it's failed. And the Labour, the Labour Party acknowledged all that before it was, uh, uh, before it um, signed up a coalition deal with New Zealand First. Jacinda Ardern said this would be a transformative government, mm. uh, that uh, the levels of inequality were unacceptable, uh, that she had got into politics herself to uh, to fight against child poverty. Um, and where's the transformation? Who's got the real power here? Mm. Who's <laughs> got the real power? All right, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you very much. Uh, we were going to get on to Massey, but we've run out of time, uh, which is a really interesting story, and I'm sorry we haven't got there. But, um, you know, w- one thing with that, uh, Jan's got to go. That's my only comment on that one. Agreed. Agreed. All right, thank you, Sarah. Thanks. <laughs> thank you, John.